On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, the group is in for a fascinating series of conversations with Dr. Ryan Clevenger about a subject that shows up at some key points in the story of the Bible. It's the subject of testing. Now, I think most of us have a bit of an uncomfortable relationship with tests. Tests in school, medical tests, not our favorite. And the idea that God may be testing us. But what's going to add a layer of interest, I think, to this discussion is Ryan's area of expertise. His doctorate, his PhD, is in the area of patristics. And uh, so what is patristics? Well, patristics is the study of those early Christian writers to about the year six or 700 who had a lasting influence on the theology of the church. And can you throw out a name or two? Because some of us probably know someone who is categorized as a patristic, yes. but we don't realize that's what they're categorized as, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so Ryan will do that for us. And then throughout the next hour, provide some really helpful insights from these early church fathers that will contribute to our understanding of this idea of testing as we find it in Scripture. So pull your chair up to the table. Let's study the Bible together on Discover the Word. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. They are the regular members of this group that share time at the table studying the scriptures with you. And from time to time, we also invite guests to join us as well. And so this is one of those times. Elisa and Bill and Daniel are welcoming Dr. Ryan Clevenger to the table. Now, Ryan has an interesting connection with the group. He's part of our audio team here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. He works with us as a producer on Discover the Word and also with several other podcasts that we do. And we'll learn a bit more of his background as the conversations go along. But he brings this expertise in the area of patristics to our study of some passages about testing. And so let's get started. Let's join Elisa and Bill and Daniel and Ryan Clevenger. I've always heard when you meet someone that you should not assume that you know their backstory when you meet them, right? And I've found that to be true. Because sometimes you'll meet like someone who's working at a coffee shop or something else, and Mm -hmm. you're surprised to find out they have some expertise in something Mm -hmm. that you would have never expected. Like 14th century romance literature. (laughs) (laughs) Those categories you hope you don't get on Jeopardy. That's That's right. And that kind of relates to our guest today, because if you were walking around our daily bread, and if you ran into Ryan, you would run into someone who has a PhD in patristics. <laughs> <laughs> what so is Ryan, patristics? Welcome. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. And maybe help us understand what patristics are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad no, you're here. I, I'm glad to be here. Well, patristics is the study of those early Christian writers after the New Testament to about the year six or 700 who had a lasting influence on the theology of the church. So they are good dialogue partners for thinking through things theologically and also just Mm -hmm. as we read the Bible, they always give me an interesting perspective Mm -hmm. um, that I never had before. Can I ask how you got interested in the patristics? Yeah, it kind of started my undergrad, getting into theology, interested in the reformers, and I felt like I couldn't understand them Mm -hmm. if I didn't understand their context, which is actually the medieval period. And then I can't understand the medieval period without kind of going back. So I kind of worked my way back uh-huh. <laughs> and thought, this is a good place. This is a, a lot of interesting things that were going on in the early church and something I could dive into huh. and spend my time doing. You said that they make good discussion partners with us in thinking through theology. Is part of that because they were so much closer to the time of the events than we are? I mean, we've got hundreds of years between us and the patristics. And even though they had hundreds of years, they had a lot fewer hundreds of years. <laughs> yes, yes. So in many ways, they share a lot of the same cultural context yeah. of yeah. the New Testament. And so there is that similarity, but it's also for me good because in many ways it's so different from my own culture. Mm-hmm. And so it forces me to question, why did I assume the text meant something 
mm-hmm. when this person is seeing it in a completely yeah, different way. That's and so it makes me challenge my own assumptions okay. and makes me dig in closer to the text. And can mm-hmm. you throw out a name or two? Because some of us probably know someone who is categorized as a patristic, yes. but we don't realize that's what they're categorized as, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for many people in the West, Augustine okay. or Augustine, depending on mm-hmm. uh, where you're from, <laughs> is probably the most famous. But there are many others. Some I will be bringing up later. Origen, Gregory of Nazianzus, who I did my uh, research on. Athanasius is another pretty mm-hmm. well-known one. Okay, um, But Thanks. there are many, many. I've heard of one of those guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in um, seminary taking early church history And one of the things that I found very eye-opening, but also kind of refreshing and hopeful, was these are some of the people that were first responding to the gospel outside of the immediate Jesus followers. These were the first people to inherit the faith and then begin taking it forward and begin asking questions about how does this apply to life and the context that I'm in and stuff like that. So maybe think about it like the grandchildren of the first Mm -hmm. believers kind of thing. And also in a time in history when the Roman Empire is starting to wane, Mm -hmm. losing its Mm. grip on the ancient world in a sense. So it's it is an interesting time uh, yeah. in history, yeah. And some of the early church fathers, they would have even known apostles potentially, correct? Yes, yes. So um, there's a group of writings called the Apostolic Fathers, and those are the earliest writings we have outside of the New Testament. So there are people like uh, Polycarp of mm-hmm. Smyrna, Ignatius of Antioch, Clement of Rome. They're right mm-hmm. on the heels of the apostles. That's helpful. Yeah. So... If we're going to be in dialogue (laughs) with the patristics, (laughs) where are we going to start talking today? Yeah. Where do you want to go? Yeah. Well, I first want to think about when is the last time you guys had a test? A test. Mm. Well, in the metaphorical sense, like five minutes ago, I was trying to remember uh, what the names of some of the patristics were. Um, a couple of years ago, I'm probably the only one in this table that ever drives with my mind somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Probably the rest of you are perfectly focused, focused undistracted. Yes, yes. But I was on a country road here in West Michigan, and I was so focused on where I was trying to get to, I lost track of the speed that I was going. I got a speeding ticket. So I had to take an online driver's course so that I didn't get penalized on my insurance. And that concluded with a test. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I avoided the penalty of my speeding I, I may or may not have done something similar yeah. about a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, a couple years ago, preparing for ordination, had to take theological exams and respond mm-hmm. to big questions. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel pretty, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. so. yeah. Well, at the beginning of this school year, I have four kids and one of them, well, I think they all had to take what's called the NWEA test. It's basically kind of just lets the teacher know where you are oh, okay. and what they need to help you with. Mm-hmm. But my one of my daughters, my nine-year-old, was just worried about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was trying to comfort her and console her. Like, it's okay. The teacher's not trying to make you fail. The teacher wants to see where you are mm. so that she can help you. Mm. It's an opportunity. And so as I'm having this conversation with her, I'm, I was reminded about the idea of testing that comes up often in the Bible. And probably the most famous one, what would you say is the most famous? Mm. When you think of testing Mm. in the Bible, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Yeah, I think it would depend on Old Testament or New Testament. So Old Testament would probably be Abraham or maybe the uh, children of Israel before they Mm -hmm. wander the wilderness. New Testament, Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could go along with that. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, I also thought of Abraham because it's one of the first times you see, says God tested Abraham. And what does he test him with? His son. Mm-hmm. His son. Mm-hmm. So the text, uh, Genesis 22, one through two, would anyone like to read those verses? Sure. I'll grab them. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, 
and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. So I said earlier that reading the fathers helps me to read the biblical text in a different way. And so when I read this passage just casually, in part, I skim over it because I know how the story ends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I jump to the end. I know where this is going. But the fathers were very keen on paying attention to every single word. And so one of those people is Origen of Alexandria. And his dates are about 185 to 253 or 254, born and raised in Alexandria. And that's the one in Egypt, not the one in Virginia, right? Correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So he was the son of Christians. So we're getting into the period where Christian families are becoming Mm. larger. It's not just converts Mm. from outside of the church. And his father actually was martyred. He now has to take care of his family. And so he does so, he starts teaching. And he becomes, in a sense, a world famous teacher and biblical scholar. And he traveled all the way to Rome um, because people wanted to know Hmm. what he thought Hmm. on certain issues. And at the end of his life, he was in Caesarea in Palestine area, another Roman persecution. And he was tortured and he died from his wounds later on. So he wasn't someone who took his faith lightly. Mm. I mean, he was willing to die Mm. for it. So getting back to our passage in Genesis 22, he notices something that I never did which is this repetition of identifying who Abraham needs to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Hmm. He could have just said, go sacrifice your son Isaac. What else does he say? Wow, yeah. Your only son. Mm -hmm. Which actually is not true because he had Ishmael as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in what sense was Isaac his only son? Yes. So your only son, wait, Which one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which one? How does it continue? Whom you love, Isaac. So you have three different ways of identifying this person that God is calling Abraham to sacrifice. Why? Mm -hmm. That's the question Origen asks. Mm -hmm. Why? Why does Mm -hmm. he use so many ways? And for Origen, he kind of lands on the, whom you love. Hmm. This isn't just sacrificing any old animal that you might do in a burnt offering. Mm-hmm. This is something that gets at the very heart of Abraham. Because remember, God has made a promise to Abraham. I will be your God. I will make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations will be blessed. Mm-hmm. All of Abraham's hopes and dreams are in Isaac. And it is that person that God says, will you trust me? You have the person that you love. All of your hopes and dreams are on this one person for your future. Will you still trust me with the things that you love? So in many ways, testing gets at those deep issues of what we love. Now, have any of you been tested in that way where you feel like God is testing that very love. Yeah. And in some ways, this wouldn't be that surprising to Abraham because all the other gods ask for kids Mm -hmm. to be sacrificed. And so when Abraham initially hears God of Israel saying something similar, it's like, oh, I guess this God's like all the other gods. Mm -hmm. And then the reason the end of the story is so important is because I think one of the main reasons this story is here is because God's showing, actually, I'm not like the other gods. And what better way to show that than by walking through a process with someone that you think you know the outcome, but it goes differently. And so what you're challenging us with, the whom you love, is actually helpful. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I think about those Old Testament contexts, and I think like, oh, they were all just like, well, kids, you know, I'll just sacrifice one Mm -hmm. and it's fine. But obviously in this story, no, they really deeply cared and Mm -hmm. loved their kids Mm -hmm. too. For me, I think the question of what does God test me with and what I love, 
feel like that depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think every day there's something that comes up that I realize I hold on to so tightly. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, Daniel. And I think um, I've been through many, many seasons where I have felt like, you know, Lord, would you lift your foot up? But in every situation, what I come to is a reminder of you love this, do you love me yeah. the same way? And will you trust mm-hmm. me? And, you know, time and again, you know, that's where I return to, that he is a good God. Yeah. He provided the sacrifice, and he's done the same for me. Yeah. yeah. One of the guests that we've had here on the program, Ryan, is Sally Lloyd-Jones mm. with the Jesus Storybook Bible. Mm. The subtitle of that is, Every Story Whispers His Name, mm. pointing to Jesus. And here, it's almost as if God is describing Isaac the way he feels about Jesus. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. His mm. son, his only son, whom mm. he loves. Yes. That he is ultimately going to actually sacrifice for us. It's very stunning to see the way you've described the heart of Abraham for Isaac and see that as a tiny little window yeah. into the heart of God the Father for God the Son and yet giving him up for us because of his love for us. So thank you, Origen, for yes. pointing that out. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, what I find so interesting about reading the Bible with Origen is paying attention to these details. And when he focuses on the phrase of the son whom you love, I begin to see that testing is in many ways getting at the very heart of where our loves are. Mm -hmm. Will we place those loves ahead of God? Whom do you love? And I think Origin offers a great challenge for us as we read scripture. So have any of you ever been hiking? Well, I live in Colorado. So, so you have a few places. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because we lived on one side of town for like 40 years and then we Mm. moved to another side of town just two years ago and it's like we're in an entire different location we didn't realize it and we have discovered so many wonderful places Mm. it's just gorgeous and not super hard yeah because i'm not like that (laughs) (laughs) marlene and i walk on a regular basis but hiking is next level Uh, Uh, and so the last time we hiked was about six years ago we were in Ireland Mm. and we went up into the Irish mountains outside Dublin and hiked to a spot called Glendalough which is Irish for the valley of the two lakes Mm. and uh, and it was beautiful yeah that's cool yeah yeah so I'm the guy sitting at the table wearing a flannel shirt With a shirt that says Olympic National Park in the middle. Oh, with mountains um, in front. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Now that you mention it, I'm noticing it. Yeah, but I just went hiking recently and in Olympic National Park. It was so, it was beautiful, amazing, up above the tundra line. And Mm. there's nothing like those high thousand, thousand, thousand foot Mm -hmm. views. Mm -hmm. And of course, up there in the summertime and the fall, you can see the volcanoes. There's a few volcanoes in Washington State. It was amazing. Wow. Have any of you been to Glacier National Park? I have not. I have, mm-hmm. yeah. This is now going on maybe a decade or so. Some friends who went as a group drove from Michigan all the way to Glacier Ooh. National Park. Mm. And the pictures they brought back were just absolutely mm. stunning. I would love to go there someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the way there, they were trying to prepare their bodies because it's pretty intense, that type of mm-hmm. hiking. And so one of my friends, she was just drinking water constantly. Mm-hmm. And then they had to do a pit stop. Yeah. <laughs> and another one. And another one. <laughs> Thank you. And yes. so people started teasing her mm-hmm. for all the pit stops they have to take. Well, she kind of got embarrassed, so she stopped drinking. And they get to Glacier National Park and she actually got severely dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And it was very fortunate that a uh, forest ranger was nearby. They had a helicopter <gasps> her out. Wow. It was really bad. But it's something as simple and mundane as water mm-hmm. is so important, right? So when I think about water and I think about the theme of testing, I go back to, of course, Israel in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. right? And so what happens after you have the Red Sea? 
They cross the Red Sea. Miracle of miracles. They sing a whole song about it. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Immediately after the song, (laughs) they don't have water Mm -hmm. and they grumble to Moses because they need water. They need something to drink. Yeah. So Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled against Moses. That's like the theme word of Exodus in Numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They grumbled saying, what are we to drink? Yeah. On the one hand, I feel sympathetic, right? Sure. Of course. You're in the desert. That's a legitimate question to be asking. Absolutely. Yes. But it's also the contrast, putting these two things side by side, right? This miracle of the Red Sea, this spiritual high, this magnificent event, then contrasted with everyday, normal, mundane, need some water to drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it reminds me of uh, another church father Mm -hmm. named Evagrius. How do you spell that? E-V-A-G-R-I-U-S. He was greatly influenced by Origen, actually. His dates are about 345 to 399, so the latter half of the 4th century. Okay. In a time when the Roman Empire is becoming more and more Christian. He actually leaves a promising career and heads to the desert to be a monk. Hmm. And he developed kind of an analysis of temptation. Hmm. When we are tempted, what is going on in our minds? Mm -hmm. What's the process? Because if you know the process, well, then you know how to fight against the temptation. And he developed what he called the eight evil thoughts, Mm -hmm. which become, you may be familiar with, the seven deadly sins Mm -hmm. in the West. Kind of starts with him. But he has one which doesn't really have a good English translation. It's called Akedia. And I love the way he describes it. He talks about the monk is in his cell and he's got his daily mundane routine. I pray, I read the Bible, I work, I do the same thing again and again. And what happens with Akedia is you say, all right, it's time to do my my daily devos. I get my Bible out. Ah, this is kind of long. You know, I'm, I'm just going to take a little nap. And so he <laughs> lays his head down and kind of hungry. The hunger wakes him up and he's looking around. All these other monks, they're, they're not good. You know, that other monastery over on the other side of the desert, those guys are really good. I just wish I had more. Hmm. And I think of him when I think of this story because of that, that mundane test and trial. Just ordinary, ordinary. moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some moments maybe in your life where you feel like it's just something simple, but it is so hard to get through? Email. Yeah, <laughs> that was Email. quick, <laughs> Yeah, sorry. That was the first thing that came to mind. I just want to get through it mm-hmm. or delete it or mm-hmm. not respond or whatever. Yep, yep. At the risk of sounding like a terrible person, praying. Mm. It yeah. can be very yeah. laborious, and it's something that you know you need to do. It's right to do. It's good to do. It's well to do it, but it's not well to do it with an attitude that's unhealthy yeah. spiritually. Yeah. You know, and that's honest, Bill, that is. And, and I think actually anything can become incredibly mm. mundane. Yeah. I mean, whether it's your job and your time to make the donuts, you know, that whole thing, or it's carpooling your kids, or, you know, some people even going to church, that can become. Mm. Or, and so we just slip into other distractions, like binge watching TV mm. or, you know, doing a crossword puzzle over yeah. and over, you know, whatever. So I think anything can become yeah. just dull. Especially when you contrast it with something like the crossing of the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. We all have maybe, I think, in our lives, moments of spiritual highs where we see God work in amazing ways. We kind of want to get back to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the problem is that we think that's where (laughs) we ought to live. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't live there. You know, the old Dottie Rambo's song, God knew I couldn't live on a mountain, so he picked out a valley for me. (laughs) And the valley is the ordinary and the mundane. 
the mountaintop is the punctuation yeah. in those things. And the reality, and that's a great way to express it, is that, you know, if, for instance, we've had a dramatic God moment mm. while reading scripture or while journaling or while praying, <laughs> Bill, you know, if we've had that, we need to remember that that's what we were doing when God met us, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. instead of, well, I don't want to read my Bible today. Well, I don't want to journal. Well, I, I'm tired of that. You know, often he's inviting us to be ready for one of those moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I notice in me sometimes in that, when I have an experience with God, sometimes I almost get formulaic mm-hmm. and think, well, maybe if I do A, B, C in the same <laughs> okay. order, <laughs> okay, it'll force God to show up or he'll show up or whatever. <laughs> I think we can do the same thing yeah. with some of the mundane yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 And that's why I love Vagrius. Reading him has always challenged me to be faithful in the little things. And in many ways, the contrast between the mountain experience, and now I'm mixing up my Exodus metaphors, <laughs> the Red Sea experience juxtaposed, put side by side, just needing something to drink. Mm-hmm. Will I trust God mm-hmm. for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I've always heard, too, that two of the themes in the Old Testament that for us we lose sight of easily because we live in a culture where water or any kind of drink Mm. is so prevalent and food is so prevalent. Mm -hmm. But in the Old Testament world, so much time is spent finding water or finding Mm. food. And so anytime we see a story of water or a story of food in the Old Testament, that should help remind us we're reading a people Mm -hmm. in a different culture Mm -hmm. because for them... They can't turn the tap on. This mm. isn't an easy thing. And so it kind of forces them to trust God with the small things. Yeah. And for us, sometimes the abundance we have distracts us from the reality that we actually need to depend on God for some of yeah. those small things too. We see it in our kids so easily when they don't get something they want or that they assume is going to happen and they react so strongly. And really we do the same thing with God. We just mask it with nice sounding language. But God in those moments is testing us to again, trust him that he loves us and that he will care for us, both in the miraculous and in the mundane. Yeah, great reminder that in a lot of ways, it's a test of our faith to be faithful in the seemingly small things of life. Because in so many ways, life is made up of those small, mundane, everyday, over and over things. But it's so often in those things that our faith and our trust in God are revealed, or our lack of faith comes to the surface. And so whatever tests that you're facing today, whether they're big or small, I hope the passage that we looked at and the perspective from Evagrius challenged you today. Well, you're listening to Discover the Word. Ryan Clevenger, an expert in the area of patristics, is our guest this week, alongside Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And our series about testing continues in a moment when the group explores what it looks like when God tests us in order to prepare and equip us for greater challenges to come. The patristic offering insight will be one named Antony a dedicated follower of Christ from Egypt that took seriously what Jesus said was a test of commitment to him. So that conversation coming up after we take a quick break. Now, one of the things we try to do at some point in each of these podcasts is connect you to other resources that we have here at Our Daily Bread Ministries in addition to Discover the Word that can help you in your walk with the Lord. And so in this episode, I want to point you toward what we call our Discovery Series. The Discovery Series is a collection, a library, really, of Bible study materials on a wide range of topics and passages. There are over 150 titles currently, with new material being added every month. You personally, your small group, your church, these Discovery Series resources can be used in so many ways. And for the most part, we provide them online and in some cases in printed booklet form without cost or obligation. And so if you enjoy our conversations on Discover the Word, well, the Discovery series 
is another way that we're able to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. To access this library of Bible study material, just go to discoveryseries.org. That's discoveryseries.org. And now back to these conversations about testing on the Discover the Word podcast. Do any of you play in musical instrument? No. No? <laughs> my only instrument is my mouth and I whistle. Ah, <laughs> ah. It's a lost art, <laughs> really. I took piano lessons as a kid for a couple of years and, you know, it just didn't stick. Yeah. But Daniel. Yeah, I grew up playing mm-hmm. piano mm-hmm. and uh, took many, many, many years of lessons and then guitar. Mm-hmm. Still play that pretty often. And then in high school... I took trumpet, oh my mostly goodness. because I realized how low my GPA was, <laughs> and it was pretty much a guaranteed 100A, and that did boost the GPA pretty good. In fact, I joined chorus that year, too, so I had two guaranteed Ooh. A's. <laughs> so. I play guitar. My mom played piano. My wife plays piano and flute, and so been around music mm. my whole life, and I've always heard a phrase, see if you can complete it, blank makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Practice. It's practice. true of a lot of things. Yeah. So we're used to practicing things like instruments because we want to get better. Mm-hmm. Can we think of testing as a form of practice? Mm-hmm. We talked about testing as mm-hmm. God wanting to see what we love. Do we love God more than other things? We also saw testing as something that challenges us to be faithful mm-hmm. in the little things. Mm-hmm. But is testing also a form of practice or preparation or something you know just for a second can we talk about the overall god's motivation behind testing because i mean i've had lots of conversations on this Mm. topic and i think we can run into a ditch on this topic and think you know god's really trying to get me especially because one of the worst things christians say to one another is when someone's going through something difficult they go, well, I guess God's testing. That does not feel loving it. at all. It's and not, yeah. I don't think that's what God does or what he means by testing. I do think you're onto something as far as preparation is concerned, mm-hmm. though, because I think that God can use everything. God doesn't waste anything. Mm, true. And so he can take those testing seasons of life to equip us for things that we don't even know are coming, but he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I was taught, and this may be from Haddon Robinson yet again, we're always <laughs> quoting him, but that, you know, Satan tests us so we'll fail. Yeah. And God tests us so we'll succeed and yeah. grow, grow especially in our faith and our ability to trust him. And, and that's always helped me. You know, none of us knows the mind and heart of our God, but we all know the character of God, mm-hmm. yeah. that he's good, that he's loving. But anyway... Yeah. Take us away, no, this, Ryan. I just is, I wanted to stop there for a minute. I appreciate that this is really good because there is a difference between, maybe we'll call it temptation mm-hmm. instead of testing. Mm. You know, we pray, lead us not into temptation. Temptation is trying mm-hmm. to get us to fail. Mm-hmm. Satan tempted mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. God tests us. Well, we talked about a few examples with mm-hmm. Abraham and, mm-hmm. and Israel being tested in the wilderness. Just to go back to Abraham and Isaac that we talked about in our first conversation, it's helpful to look at that story in the context of God doesn't test to see if we will fail, yes. but to help yeah. us. I mean, just that whole motivation of God behind the test, I think, really helps to frame what for many people is one of the most difficult stories in the Old Testament. Not to mention, too, we often read stories in the Bible looking for us in them. But the Bible is first and foremost the story about God, who God is, how God is acting in the world. And so even a situation like Abraham and Mm -hmm. Isaac is ultimately a story about God revealing himself Mm. to the world. Mm -hmm. And God reveals himself to the world in a very surprising way. I'm not like the other gods who require child sacrifice. So we have Satan tempting, but we also have God testing. Mm -hmm. And both of those things kind of come together in another story of someone being tested in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Could someone read Matthew 4, 1? Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right. So you have the devil there tempting, but the Spirit mm-hmm. led Jesus into mm-hmm. the wilderness. I think in Luke 4, doesn't it say 
that the Spirit drove him into yeah. the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's very forceful. So you have these two things come together. And so when I think of wilderness and I think of in the early church, of course, monks living in, in the desert. Mm-hmm. And one of the most famous ones, his name was Antony, sometimes called Antony the Great. He was alive around 251 to 356. So end of the third, beginning okay. of the fourth century. He was born in Egypt and he heard someone preach a sermon, Matthew nineteen twenty one, sell all your things, give it to the poor. So he said, okay. <laughs> and he did. And he goes into the wilderness. Now, we think of wilderness as, you know, enjoying the beauty of God's creation. Adventure. Adventure, <laughs> right? <laughs> the wilderness is where the demons are, <laughs> right? There's a reason Jesus gets driven into the wilderness. Because you don't normally go there. You don't go there. Mm. That is where the demons are. And so Antony doesn't escape civilization to get away. He's going to do battle. Hmm. He goes into the wilderness and he's doing battle with the devil. He's winning. And then people start to hear, hey, there's that guy. He sounds like he's a pretty wise person. We should go see him Hmm. and learn from him. And so they all go out there and he's just annoyed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I came out here to get away from you all because <laughs> I want to I wanna pray. I want to do the spiritual thing. I want to get away from everyone. So he goes further into the wilderness and then people follow him. Wow. And he goes further and people just keep on following him. Mm. And he does this for 20 years. Man. And there's something interesting happens. After about 20 years, he comes out and there's a crowd of people He's not annoyed. And he's also not excited. The Greek word is apatheia. Now, when you hear that, what does that sound like? Oh, apathetic. Mm -hmm. Apathy, which is for us a bad thing. We don't want people to be apathetic. But in this context, apathy, apatheia, is like the idea of if you were drowning, would you want a lifeguard to panic? Oh. Yeah, no. No. The lifeguard (laughs) might be you know, concerned. There might be fear involved because of the danger, but they're not panicking. Mm -hmm. They're focused, yeah. And so what Anthony represents is someone who is, well, he's not annoyed, Mm -hmm. but he's also not thinking, oh, all the crowds are out here for me. (laughs) Oh, this is so great. Look at how my ministry is growing. (laughs) God's blessing my ministry. Mm. But he's able to love them. Mm not because of what he gets out of it, but he's also not annoyed. He doesn't care one way or the other. And that doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. It means he can truly love them and help them in their need. And so I think of that when I think of Jesus in the desert. Mm. This is the first thing Jesus does after he gets baptized, before he does three intense years of ministry Hmm. where you have people crowding around him. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is that for Antony, the time in the wilderness prepared him for that time of ministry with those crowds. Yes. Like trained him. Yeah. It's like it flushed the annoyance out. Yes. Um, It also maybe flushed any sense of I'm powerful out, Mm -hmm. you know, the egotism of it so that he was prepared to respond. And similarly, not that Jesus had sin in him, but he's being prepared. Yeah. Okay. And I think what is really actually encouraging about the story of Antony (laughs) is sometimes we think that because we come to faith or because we read the right passage or something that we should be patient quickly. Uh If it took him 20 years to get to a place where he was patient and loving and kind with people, if even Jesus goes into the wilderness to prepare to love people well, not that even Jesus needed it because he's God, right? Who is loving. But that's encouraging to me because that means if I'm not there yet, that's okay. (laughs) The phrase is coming to my mind, life lessons, Mm -hmm. you know, and the older we get, the more I value the preparation of life lessons. And I still want to go fast, but not as fast Mm -hmm. as I used to. I appreciate it more, what God's been shaping. And doesn't this, Ryan, in some ways kind of become a rhythm of Jesus's life Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. often he disappears by himself with the Father? And maybe it's not as temptation-driven of a season or wilderness-driven, 
but it's him being alone mm-hmm. with the father being mm-hmm. yeah. filled so that he can pour into yeah. others. Yeah, I think not only a rhythm in Jesus's story in the Gospels, but throughout Scripture, where people are taken into the wilderness to be prepared for what's coming next, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. Moses in the Midian desert yeah. or Paul. Elijah yeah. mm-hmm. uh, at the Brook Kareth or John the Baptist out in the wilderness. I mean, mm-hmm. over and over again, it's this kind of experience that becomes the preparation place for what God has intended for them next. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so often, I think I know what it is in the moment, <laughs> right? I always wanted to know the answer. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to go through the failure. I never wanted to have the experience. I wanted to figure out the answer and then do it. And I always think in times of testing or trial that I know this is why God is doing it. Mm. It's years later where I see, mm. oh no, <laughs> God <laughs> had something completely different. And so in many ways, you know, the testing we experience, God is preparing us mm-hmm. for something even bigger that we can't even see yet. Do any of you have any kids? I have children. Children. I don't have, you don't have baby goats. <laughs> I have it. children. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, I've got two grown children and two, two grandchildren. Wow. Yep. Um, I have three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, three kids. We have five. Five children. Kids. Five children. <laughs> They're all adult <laughs> children. <laughs> all adult children. <laughs> With adult children, you may have to think back into uh, the early years. And um, do you remember when they first started to talk? And what's well, one of the first words that they learned. Mama. Mama. <laughs> why? Why? Yeah, yeah, and they used it incessantly, which was why I didn't <laughs> why? really like why? that phase. Why? Yeah, I think all three of my kids had to have been dada. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, as many parents do, when your child learns no. No. <laughs> no. And it becomes this battle sometimes a Mm -hmm. battle of wills and you think what happened to that cute little baby that i used to Mm -hmm. hold now suddenly they know what they want and Mm -hmm. it's not what i want to give (laughs) especially if you have one child that's pretty like okay they follow what mom and dad Mm -hmm. say Mm -hmm. and then you have a different child Mm -hmm. and you find out what a strong willed child is Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so thinking about testing. And I've kind of said this in different ways in our previous conversations. But when God tests us, often there's a question of, will we follow what God wants? Mm -hmm. Or will we do what we want? Absolutely. And (laughs) what would you say is probably the most famous example of this in Mm -hmm. scripture? It would probably have to be Jesus in Gethsemane. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking also Adam and Eve. That's true. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. God mm-hmm. says, I've created this for you, and this is how I want you to live. Yeah. And the devil tempts them to say, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what's best? Mm-hmm. Or should you decide mm-hmm. what's best? And so what's great about the story of Jesus is that like Israel was tempted in the wilderness, we talked about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And like Adam and Eve were tempted in a garden, Jesus is tempted in a garden. Hmm. Let's actually read, it's kind of a longer passage, but maybe we could break it up. Matthew 26, 36 through 42. I'll start it. Yeah. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So this passage poses a little conundrum. 
we believe that Jesus is God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So what's going on when he says, not my will, but your will? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it is tricky because there's moments throughout Jesus's life where he seems more separated from Mm -hmm. God than we would expect. So this is a great example of that disconnect. And yet he claims that he is one with a father many, 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 many many, many many times. times. And he says, my nourishment is to do the will of Mm -hmm. the one who sent me. So for the majority of his ministry, there's a clear alignment Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. Jesus's will and the Father's will. Yeah. So this passage was very important for another one of the early church fathers. His name was Maximus the Confessor. Hmm. His dates are uh, around 580 to 662. So So more to the end of the patristic era. More to the end of the patristic era. And he's called the Confessor because he was persecuted for what he taught, he had his tongue cut out and his hand cut off and sent into exile. Hmm. And he died later from the wounds. So he's not called a martyr because he didn't die in the persecution, but he died later on from those. And therefore he's called the confessor. confessor. Yep, because he confessed the faith. And what in particular he was trying to address is this question of the wills in Jesus. If God is one, Mm -hmm. shouldn't he have one will? And if Jesus is saying my will and contrasting that to the will of the Father, how many wills Mm -hmm. are there? So this sounds all really abstract, right? And there's a practical consequence to it. So Maximus, his solution is to say that in every one of us, there are two wills. Mm. We have our natural will, which is, think of it like, we naturally want to be alive, right? We want to seek good things. We want all of those good things, part of the created, God created us to have those desires. We might speak of them as desires and not so much of a will, but that's what he's thinking. And then he has the will that we think of, which is kind of choosing one or the other. Hmm. And we, the reason why we sin is because of that will. Hmm. And so Jesus is not fighting against God. He has a natural will to live. And that's a good created thing. God created life and he wants us to live and to flourish. And Jesus saying, let this pass is a reflection of that truly human will. Mm. Because Jesus is truly and fully human. Human. Mm -hmm. And so the payoff for this is that Jesus, by becoming human, fully becomes human. It's not like a coat that he puts on. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm God. This is all easy stuff. I'm just going to put this human jacket on. But he really takes on our human nature. And where Adam and Eve failed Mm. back in the garden, Mm -hmm. Jesus in the garden succeeds and what does he succeed at it seems like the two wills become one yes so his human will human desires even his will to live yeah comes into alignment or was maybe never out of alignment (laughs) with the father yeah and so his choosing as fully human Mm -hmm. jesus to be one with the ultimate plan and design and desires of God is probably the best picture we could ever have of what it looks like for us to align, to align. I like that word alignment. Yeah. And you know, I don't actually have a problem with Jesus having his own human will. Mm. I mean, that to me is part of exactly what you're saying. He didn't just put on a coat. I mean, this is a real deal, you know, but something in that alignment is really powerful as a model as well as for what Mm. we can have in our relationship with God. You know, it seems to me like where we started off with parenting and our children, Mm. that's pretty easy to get our heads around as God the Father and God the Son. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm. We look at it through the lens of parenting and we can see how it works in that environment. 
when you bring in the Trinitarian mystery into mm-hmm. it, that's when it gets a little foggy. Yeah. And I think introducing the idea that all of us have within us two wills mm-hmm. and that that's just part of the humanity mm-hmm. of the God-man, that helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, speak to the person, <clears throat> me, <laughs> that's listening to this and can't help but think, well, of course Jesus could get his human will lined up with the Father's will because he was God and he was perfect and he didn't make mistakes. If this really is in some ways also an invitation to us to discover what it means to be truly human, to have our wills aligned with the Father, how do we even begin doing that, processing that, knowing how far we are from who Jesus was? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And for Maximus and for many of the fathers, it's only because Jesus did this that we are able to, as we have the Spirit and as we are united to Christ, now we can. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I was thinking, the concrete payoff of this very abstract Mm. and kind of complicated idea is that Jesus did it. What Adam failed to do, what we failed to do, Jesus did. And because he did it, and because we have his spirit, Mm. we now Mm -hmm. are able to then say, not my will, God, but your will be done. Ryan Clevenger is leading this study on Discover the Word alongside Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And I hope you're finding encouragement from these passages on testing that he's taking us to and the perspectives of those early church fathers like Maximus the Confessor. Our takeaway from that conversation is that testing often challenges us to conform our will to God's. Well, we'll conclude this series on testing with a timely question, in what ways were and are the years of COVID a test? Well, Ryan tells us about one area of his life that he feels like God was testing him during the pandemic. And we'll get an insight from a deacon in the church in Rome in the middle of the third century. It's a story that Elisa says gives her goosebumps. And so don't miss the conclusion of our series about times of testing after we take a moment to look ahead to our next podcast. On our next two Discover the Word podcasts, Elisa Morgan leads Marty Hahn, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day in a study called, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Did you guys have siblings and did you ever fight? (laughs) How did your parents handle that when you fought? I have six siblings. Oh, man, that's right, Bill. (laughs) I have three brothers and three sisters, and all of us fought all the time. Mm -hmm. It was kind of this universal reality growing up. Daniel, what about you? Yeah, three younger sisters, and uh, they just would not do things the way I thought they should. (laughs) So we didn't get along as much as we should have. But the most common thing that I heard was, wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Uh, Right. I think your comment, Daniel, about wait till your father gets home is a fun metaphor for where we're going (laughs) in the next several (laughs) conversations. We're going to a surprising place, I think, with this introduction. We're going to the Book of Romans. And so find out how Romans helps us to answer the question, why can't we all just get along on the Discover the Word podcast. And now let's listen as Daniel and Elisa and Bill thank our expert in the area of patristics, Ryan Clevenger, for a helpful study on the subject of testing, augmented by stories and perspectives from those early church thinkers and leaders. And Ryan has a great story about one of the patristics named Lawrence, in this last segment. Ryan, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Learned so much. Yeah, it's really been helpful, I think, for me, who loves history. Mm -hmm. I love history. But this is an era in the history of the church that I haven't spent as much time Mm -hmm. in as probably I should. And I just kind of appreciate your shining a light on it for us and and piquing our interest a bit in Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm so glad I could be here. Yeah, so how should we close out these conversations. (laughs) Well, you know, when I think about testing and I think of like all the things that we've discussed so far, you know, God testing us to see what do we love the most, God testing us to see if we'll be faithful in just the small things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God testing us to prepare us for something bigger and 
God testing us to see, are we going to follow what he says? And I think about how to make that concrete. I love abstract. I love thinking about these big ideas, but really at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's got the, <laughs> That's where I go. the rubber hits the yep, road. Yep, yep. And so that just leaves me with the question in our current context, has COVID hmm. been a test? Hmm. Well, I think that raises the question that Elisa, you pointed us to in one of these conversations what do we mean by test, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times Christians tell other Christians or the world that when bad things happen, that's God mm-hmm. testing you. So I think we'd have to be careful talking yes. about COVID as a test with how many people have suffered and died yes. as a result. But going back to, I think, Bill, what you said, God can use all things. Mm-hmm. And so maybe part of the testing part of COVID has been the fact that in the midst of all of the craziness that a broken world causes, are we going to still lean on that God knows best and that God can make beauty from ashes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think about it at a much baser level, Daniel. I mean, you went to a depth that I wasn't even thinking about. I was thinking of, yes, (laughs) (laughs) it was a test for, all those young couples who had to suddenly mm. learn oh how gosh. to do homeschooling yes. while working from home, while trying to navigate all the protocols and rules yeah. for for all the people who maybe their entire career had worked in a certain way and suddenly mm. were tested with, could they adapt and flex to yeah. a different kind of a work environment? Yep. So I think there are a lot of those kinds of tests packed yeah. into it. Yeah, I like how you talk about multiple kinds of tests Mm -hmm. because it's easy to see what we think is the test Mm -hmm. and to look at everyone else and say, he failed, she failed, (laughs) they did okay. So when I ask the question, has COVID been a test? I'm thinking about myself. What has God been trying to tell me in this whole situation? Early on in the lockdown, I, I would joke that, hey, I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. so telling me to stay home and don't go anywhere unless I have to, that is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am living the dream. Yeah, the way yeah. I put it is social distancing is my default position. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I remember seeing people, friends, people from church saying, oh, I just miss my church family. And I looked inside my heart and I said, I don't miss anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and... It took a while and finally I see God is putting his finger on something that Mm. says, yeah, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm. there's a heart issue. And Jesus talks a lot about heart issues. Tests really Mm -hmm. reveal what's in our hearts. Yes. Don't they? I mean, you know, I think all the examples you've all given, you know, COVID revealed. And there's an individual revealing Mm-hmm. And there's a corporate yeah. revealing. There's a country revealing. There's a world revealing. Yeah. All of it. You know, there's yeah. a faith revealing. And um, I think it, it's been very instructive, yeah. which is mm-hmm. what a test yeah. really from God's persuasion is about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of tests, I think of, you know, tests have answer keys. And it's easy to try to think about, well, maybe this is what we're being tested against. For me, I see what Jesus says in Matthew 22 when he summarizes the law. Mm. And Jesus says it's two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I talked about my test I see as a test of, do I love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be around him ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the context of the passage that you're pointing us to in Matthew 22, they came and tested Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in an honor-shame culture, if you ask a question out loud in front of others, you're trying to catch them or mm-hmm. trap them or make them look bad and put shame on them. And so here's a question that Jesus was asked as a test. Yeah. What's the greatest commandment? And that's how he responded. So here's the answer key. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> and how that plays out for each of us, I think, is going to be different mm-hmm. because we don't have the same neighbors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of a martyr in the early church. His name was Lawrence. And 
His story is recorded in a writing by a guy named Prudentius, who wrote later in the 4th century. And he writes this story about Lawrence, who was a, a deacon in the Church of Rome, and he was in charge of the upkeep of the church. The church had some things that were made of gold or silver, and he was also in charge of the treasury. So the prefect, kind of the mayor of the area of the town, he comes to Lawrence and says, I hear you got some pretty nice stuff. <laughs> I'm in charge, so I want it. And Lawrence says, all right, give me some time. Give me a couple of days. I'll collect all of the church's treasure. And so the prefect agrees, goes away. And then Lawrence, and I love this, Lawrence goes about the city gathering the sick and the poor. Hmm. And the people he collected included a man with two eyeless sockets, a cripple with a broken knee, a one-legged man, a person with one leg shorter than the other, and others with grave infirmities. <laughs> he writes down their names and he lines them up in the entrance of the church. And then he says, all right, prefect, I got our treasure. There are the church's riches. Take them. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a beautiful story because yeah. this is the midst of persecution. Mm. He's being threatened by a ruler and where does he go? Where are his treasures? His treasures are the people that the church cares for. Mm. The people who are considered maybe unworthy, less than unloved, mm -hmm. the outcasts. Mm. So that is where our treasure is. Mm. It wouldn't have been my first thought. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that list too, is if you think about the life of Jesus those are the people Jesus spent a whole lot of time mm. with. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that other people passed by. Yeah. And Jesus would take time to reach out and mm -hmm. touch them and heal them and invite them into his story. And the people that stick out to us and maybe make the biggest difference in our own lives mm -hmm. tend to be people that reflect Jesus in a similar way that Lawrence did, where he really embodies that heart of Jesus that even the most vulnerable mm -hmm. are riches in mm. God's eyes. Yeah. Treasures, isn't yeah. that precious? Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me too of the parable Jesus told of the wedding banquet mm. and mm. you know when you invite all the fancy people, if you mm. will. Yeah. But if, who's invited in the end are the all the outcasts yeah. and uh, those are the treasured guests. My mind went to a different parable, the parable of Lazarus and the rich yes. man. Yes. Mm. Yes. And how the rich man would walk right past this guy mm -hmm. sitting at his gate and not even see him, he was invisible. Mm -hmm. And again, in our world, how many people do I not even see I that are right there in front of me that are the objects of God's love? Yeah. And uh, apparently not of mine. You yeah. know, I've tried so hard to put that into practice, Bill, because it's very convicting. I've tried to like, when I'm at a crossroads, you know, so stoplight, and often there are people mm. with a sign at those. But I try to just look at them in the eye mm. and smile. What else? You know, I mean, there's every kind yeah. of way, but yeah. how do y'all put this into practice? Yeah. I think the biggest challenge that I have found from just thinking about how Jesus walked around and interacted with people is he was so present okay. mm. that it wasn't just the people with grave infirmities, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It was also the people that thought things were going great and also the people that had jobs and were fishermen. And so Jesus was just so present to everyone mm -hmm. that I feel like in some ways that's maybe helpful because we may not be passing people with grave infirmities every yeah. day mm -hmm. just because of the circle that we're in or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's a challenge for us to get out of that circle yeah. <laughs> and go mm -hmm. find people mm -hmm. that are in need. Mm -hmm. But other times I think also the invitation is just be fully present with the people that are in front yeah. of us. Yeah. I talked about how I realized I didn't love my neighbor, not that I wouldn't help them out, but... I really didn't care about them. So mm. if that was my test, I have now started to just try to learn people's names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time I go to church, mm. I have it on my phone. I meet someone new, I write their name down because if I don't, I will not remember. Mm -hmm. And when you know someone's name, That's good. you start to get involved in their life. You get into the concrete messiness. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that will open amazing doors mm -hmm. 
wonderful friendships. And other times it will offer more testing, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's part of living together. And we have to mm -hmm. be open to that messiness. And often neighbors and enemies are the same people. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so the call to love our neighbors you know, is a concrete test that we have every single day. Ryan Clevenger at the table with the group. Thanks, Ryan, for leading regular group members, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day in these conversations about testing. Uh, Ryan is one of our producers here at Discover the Word, and he works with uh, several other of our podcasts as well. And throughout this series, Ryan has shared stories from the uh, church fathers out of his expertise in the area of patristics and early church history. Thanks again, Ryan. That was great. Well, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we close today, just want to remind you that Discover the Word exists thanks to the financial partnership of listeners and friends like you who share our mission which is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And we do that through radio and podcasts like Discover the Word, the Our Daily Bread devotional, and other Bible study materials, video, and much more. And we invite you to support the mission of Discover the Word by giving a one-time gift or by giving a recurring monthly gift as a Discover the Word partner. Explore which option is best for you when you visit discovertheword.org and click on the Donate tab. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.